Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Biotech Project. Your duo of Scott and John are here to bring you through another episode. We have a great guest today. Uh, can't wait for John to tell us about him. Um, obviously, before we kick into that, just a quick reminder, jump up on the website, thebiotechproject.com. Visit us over on YouTube at The Biotech Project, Facebook, The Biotech Project, LinkedIn, The Biotech Project. Uh, I think you get it at this point. You can find us everywhere at The Biotech Project. Uh, the only exception, of course, is uh, Twitter. It's The Biotech Proj, P-R-O-J. Uh, but be sure to jump over to those social media sites, like us, so you can follow us and know exactly when we come out with a new episode. Um, things have really been cranking over here. I am really excited to hear about uh, today's guest from John. So, John, why don't you let us in on the secret? Who's today's guest? Perfect. Thanks, Scott. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm really thrilled about being joined today by Mark Silber. Um, Mark, uh, as we uh, have said in the past, we're, is uh, in the recruiting industry, and we've said in the past that we really want to bring people to you that we think can add value and teach you a lot about uh, how to uh, land that next role in pharma. So I think we've brought you a really great guest today, and we're super excited. That's awesome. Can't wait. We'll be back in a few seconds. You want to break into and navigate your career in the pharma and biotech industry. We know how to teach you. This is the Biotech Project. From sales to medical affairs and everything in between, we're talking about it. No matter how you got here, from here to your next role is up to you, and we're here to help. You'll hear from guests in every role, from CEO to sales, recruiters to hiring managers, the Biotech Project. Here are your hosts, Scott Resnick and Dr. John Walsh. All right, all right. Welcome back. Very excited, as John said. I've really been looking forward to having uh, some recruiters joining us because, you know, we've talked about people that are in the industry already. We've talked to some leaders in their fields, consultants, people that, you know, help you get through that, that process. But what about uh, before that? And, you know, looking for that next opportunity, what's going on in the space? Where are the opportunities? And I think um, something that uh, I think is a real challenge is finding a good recruiter or recruiting firm to work with. Um, you know, I've been contacted by many recruiters and I have some great relationships with recruiters um, and they know who they are. And then there's other recruiters that it's kind of a numbers game, you know, where they're just looking to get as many names as they can and, and kind of hope that something sticks. So um, really looking forward to hearing from Mark. So, um, John, why don't you uh, reintroduce our guest and, and let's kick it off. Great. Thanks, Scott. I mean, I think you segued by saying uh, it's always great to find a good recruiter. So um, I'm here to tell you we have a great recruiter here today. Um, uh, Mark, Sil Mark Silber um, is the president of uh, Crossover Search, and um, he has been someone who uh, throughout the years I've spoken to multiple times in industry. And one of the things I've always been impressed with uh, about Mark is that no matter um, how much time goes by, um, whether I'm looking for a role or I'm, uh, I'm not actively looking for a role, 
Mark manages to stay in touch, keep me aware of what's going on in the industry. And uh, I've always, always been uh, really happy and impressed with, with the work that, that Mark and his team does. So um, without further ado, Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. So maybe um, as we kick mm -hmm. off, you could tell us a little bit about you, what's, what services you offer, um, and a little bit about the life of someone in the recruiting field. All right, cool. Uh, well, I've been a recruiter since 2005, all in life sciences, primarily biopharma. Um, I kind of fell into it. I feel like most recruiters or people in the world of talent acquisition do fall into it in a way. There's a similar type of maybe background or sales mindset or entrepreneurial spirit or, you know, relation, natural relationship builder that uh, succeeds at it. And, you know, I've, I kind of fell into it. I majored in finance and entrepreneurship at Syracuse, graduated, didn't want to do finance, found myself working at, uh, at a, a small biopharma search firm, um, then fell in love with the industry. So I always wanted to do something on my own, uh, broke away, 2008, started my firm, which is called Crossover Search. And uh, our clientele is mainly small and emerging biotech companies. Here and there, we'll, we'll partner with bigger companies, but uh, where, where we found ourselves really meshing well was with the smaller pre-commercial companies, moving towards commercialization, you know, early clinical stage companies. So as a firm, we're about 10 people. Right now, we're boutique. I live in New York, had an office in New York City until COVID, and uh, now we're fully remote. Uh, so that, that's another thing about uh, the lifestyle of a recruiter. I think you could work pretty much from anywhere, um, as long as you're maintaining those relationships. Uh, so yeah, we, we have like a bunch of functional areas that we support, pretty much anything outside of discovery. So as a company matures and becomes a clinical stage company, moves their programs forward in development, uh, into medical affairs, obviously, commercial GNA functions like biz dev, corp dev, strategy, um, finance, legal, HR. These are core areas that we that we help companies with as they recruit talent. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so you know, I, I think one of the um, the biggest questions or first questions we can ask is, and, and we've asked this of most of our guests. So you mentioned COVID, obviously, that changed your industry a little bit um from how you operate we also know it's changing the biopharma industry pretty drastically sure. especially in the commercial and and medical side um both john and i were were victims of covid's uh, effect on fda and and approval process and whatnot what are you seeing is going on you know now that we're two years out from um you know the start of covid in in the biopharma space and you know kind of walk us through uh, your thoughts on that so historically my recruiting efforts with my clients have been primarily in-house positions i really don't do a lot of field stuff never truly have maybe some one-off things here and there for field medical really never any field sales which are the bulk of remote positions in this industry um for, for many of our clients uh it's changed dramatically Really, uh, you know, this is, in my mind, the hottest candidate market that we've ever seen before. I mean, you have so much cash that's flown into the industry over the last few years and the amount of new companies, whether they be startup stealth companies, venture back to, you know, now publicly traded companies that you know, I guess that's a whole other story of how they're performing right now. But, uh, you know, all these companies that are maturing at similar times and they're all seeking talent. 
at the same time. Um, I think even for medical, John, that's, that's a functional piece of an organization that's actually been built out even earlier, phase one right now, which we see where it's actually uh-huh. created even more companies recruiting talent there that make it even more competitive. So I guess what I'm getting at is historically, most of these companies would keep a position open three, six, nine months until they found someone that could relocate or be on site every day. I think they realize with the competitiveness is an advantage to have someone remote, you know, find that, you know, PhD, MD, or, you know, specialized talent that has, uh, you know, oncology commercialization experience that can be on either coast and then maybe be a little bit more flexible in that regard. So we've, we've seen it. I think at the end of the day, though, it, uh, it depends company to company, what the management team wants, what their, uh, what their policies are and how often they want people there. But overall, it's been, it's been pretty flexible right now. Yeah, Mark, you know, one of the things that I've found to be really interesting is I've had a lot of uh, colleagues and friends in the industry who have been amazingly talented, but for one reason or another, just couldn't live, whether it be for family or personal reasons, um, just couldn't live in one of the biotech hubs, whether it be Boston or Jersey or or the West Coast. And we're always, in a way, um, denied some of these really great roles just because they couldn't be there. And I've seen a few of them now start to transition into those roles and they've really blossomed and been absolutely amazing. So I think it's a cool time uh, for people who are looking to switch gears who would have normally only been field-based uh, for those companies who are willing to to continue some uh, of a field-based model. So I think it's been increasing the talent pool that's available. And, and I think it might shift the way... Um, you know, companies move forward. You think it's something that's here to stay or, or you think this is just kind of the, the COVID bubble? I think it's here to stay for a lot of companies. I think they've realized they do it well, but there's also some companies that don't onboard talent well or stay in touch as closely and have that, you know, human connection. That's why you've seen, you've seen a lot of mid-management executive, executive people, uh, I'm talking VP and above, even make moves under a year or so. Um, so it's, I think there's, I think there's certainly challenges with it. It helped plug the gap in that two year period of COVID, which we're still in, in my opinion, because pretty much every company is back full time. So it's a very rare scenario where someone, a company says we're here five days a week. I think it's, I think it's presented people in the industry right now with, with a lot of different opportunities that weren't available previously just because of geography, but it comes down to the company and, and, and the individual. Also, very and true. How is that translating to other areas? Like, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you work in in commercial structure so much, like with marketing teams, yeah. and you know, I know there's a big push now um, for key opinion leader liaison roles or field, you know, marketing or market development, whatever they want to call them. Essentially, they're the same thing. It's it's people in the field that are part of a core marketing team. Um, sometimes at an associate director level that are really tasked with uh, working with key opinion leaders. Um, are you seeing that that is an area of expansion and, and where remote uh, opportunities exist? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, we've seen it. We don't, again, we don't like work on a lot of those. It's pretty sporadic here and there, but, but I do think, you know, for even people trying to break into the industry, those are, those are interesting career paths because it, it could be a way if you're, 
you have more of a science background or pedigree that you want to break into either field medical or commercial in some way where you could use your scientific knowledge and and expertise there to break into those types of roles. I mean, obviously medical and commercial are are split for the most part and under different functional heads of each of each company, but it's definitely been something we've seen a lot more. Yeah, and Mark, you, you mentioned breaking into the industry, right? So a, a bunch of our listeners are, are exactly looking to do that. So maybe this question's a bit broad, so feel free to break it down however you feel fit. But when you get a call from somebody um, who says, hey, Mark, I'm really looking to, to pick up a role in the biotech industry, um, what are your thoughts and advice for them? How, where Where should they even begin to start um, putting their skill package together so that they have what you need to be able to market them to the right companies? It's hard. Uh, you know, I think there's so many different recruiters, it's hard to sift through. Um, but when I get introduced to someone, say through a friend that I've worked with, and, and again, most of what we do is mid-management to, to executive level, where these are people that have experience already in the industry. So for us, it's a little bit different for many retained or executive search firms uh, like we are. Um, we, we do work in contingent, but uh, you know, there's, a, there's obviously a, a requirement already from our clients, like we, we need this experience already. But, uh, but I always try to help people. I always try to help them with ways that they could make themselves a little bit more marketable, how they could search for the right people who they should be networking with in certain groups that, that is of interest to them. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that, that could be helpful. Um, you know, I do a lot of resume critique with, with people just, just to help them a bit there. Uh, so, um, yeah, there's, there's a few different avenues that, that people could go down. Are you referring to more so just like the recruiter angle, like how, how to find the right recruiter or, or what yeah. they could do? And that was really kind of my next question too, is how does someone, whether they're breaking into or looking for another role, how, how do they, how do they vet recruiters, right? There's, there's many of them out there. Um, I, I've spoken to some people who are phenomenal and I've spoken to some folks that I really haven't gotten a lot of headway. So how, yeah. how do you know the difference? Well, I think, I think keep in mind, like recruiters are working for their clients and that's who pays them. Uh, us and we have specific remits to submit qualified people, number one, and then motivated people, number two, and then, you know, the right cultural fit. You feel that out with each party. So it, it, it's pretty rare that someone will come across uh, a candidate potentially and, and be marketing them in a way. It does happen. Uh, so those are maybe some pieces there. So, uh, I'm not asking you to give away all the industry secrets here, but, you know, maybe you can share with us, you know, behind the scenes, how does it work for a recruiter? You, you get contacted by an organization, they have a role kind of, maybe you can describe that part so people can better understand it. You know, what is it like when you first get an assignment and then what's your process like as yeah. you try and fill that? Yeah, I, you know, we've, I've built a reputation of, of helping companies and finding the right people for them. It's, it's not truly rocket science, to be honest with you. It's, uh, we get contacted. It's like, say, the, the chief medical officer is seeking their first head of medical for the organization. Or, you know, there's been a position that that head of medical affairs is building out their field team for in the MSL function. I mean, 
each of these companies has certain remits, which is what they look for on the qualification side and the uh, personality side and the cultural fit side. So, you know, there's all these different boxes that, that you could check. So each, each hiring manager has their wish list of what they look for. My team and I, we, we feel like we do search really well, which is the actual nuts and bolts of who's qualified and where are they. We have other resources as well where we could actually comb through the, you know, if we're helping a company in, uh, I don't know, um, DMD, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and it's a rare genetic disease, and they want someone that's an MD neurologist or something specialized that way. We obviously have to seek out those people that that meet the requirements that they're looking for. So, you know, we'll obviously bucket those people. We'll create our list. We have a database. We have all the people that we've cultivated and built relationships with already, which is important as well. Mo many of the first contacts that we make with people aren't a cold call, right? It's it's someone that we've reached out to in the past. You've connected with the, uh, us previously. We've had a little bit of a relationship. It's stuck in our mind or in the database that is, I know this person is looking for this type of company, small, pre-commercial, or this person wants bigger company. So maybe to the listeners as well, even though a recruiter may reach out to you or you may get recommended to someone, it's always good to at least have a touch point with people, whether it's I don't know, quarterly, half a year or so, give them an update, spend 15, 20 minutes with each other, develop a relationship. So you know that that person has some notes on you or can think about you and vice, and vice versa. So, uh, you know, many of the people that we place aren't necessarily first time reach out people. These are people that were either recommended to us through a friend or through a colleague. And uh, we know them, we know what to look for, for them. And we ping them, we share the role with them. We feel like uh, on a good recruiter note, many good recruiters and good search firms know their industry really well. They know what's going on in the market. They know what's, you know, what the story is at the company, how to differentiate the company, what the positives are about the team and the company and what some of the warts are and negatives and being truthful and honest there. Then sharing that information, sharing the job, sharing the, the insights of the team and the culture. And then that person, that candidate can make the decision, is it worth me pursuing or exploring further. Then we have more conversations around your background, your interests. And then we could take all of these conversations, these two, three, four conversations, bring it to the hiring manager and say, this is this person, not just the resume, but this is who this person is personally, professionally, why we feel they're the right fit, why they're motivated right now, maybe a tidbit of what's going on with them and why they're picking their head up uh, and looking. I think a lot of people think that Recruiting is just recruiting active people as well. It's, it's actually recruiting people that are, that are happy in a, in a position. And uh, I think that is a, a good time to also look as well. Yeah, so on a prior episode, we, we spoke with Greg Navarro, um, and he's actually written some, some uh, uh, really great books, actually, on how to prepare your resume and to do well in interviews and things of that nature. And one of the things we talked about in particular, for instance, was optimizing your LinkedIn profile and doing some other things that really make you stand out. So let's face it, when, you, when you're out there looking, the industry is pretty big, right? There's tons of people out there. It's a big, you know, a, a big ocean that you can fish in. So, so how do people make themselves stand out so that people at, at Crossover would, would manage to see them and, and want to recruit them into a yeah. role? I think I do think LinkedIn is probably the, the biggest 
game changer that recruiting has ever seen. I mean, it's been around for 15 years and not everyone utilizes it correctly. There's, there's ways to be more noticeable to recruiters. But I also think that it, it finding a job many times, even for people that have jobs, is, is actually another job. So it, it takes a lot of time. I, I don't think just the internet searching, if you're a recruiter or a candidate seeker, is the only way to do it. It's a tool. It could help you, but it should help you meet new people as well. I think, uh, I think from a networking standpoint, it's finding, finding, there's all these different trade groups or industry groups. If you're in commercial or if you're in medical, there's all these different resources out there where you could get involved in to, to bolster your network. Um, so I, I do think those are, those are critical for anyone. I mean, even for example, uh, John, I know you worked at, you know, in Boston for many years, like mass bio, that is probably one of the best, uh, you know, industry sources that's out there that people could go to for career advice, networking events. And I think almost every state where there's biotech hubs has that New York, New York city bio, New York bio. Um, uh, so there, there's multiple things that way. Um, but, but then again, it's also a matter of speaking to friends, speaking to friends in the industry, uh, finding those right people and asking them, hey, did you know a good recruiter in this space? Is that someone that I could speak to, network with? Could they talk to me about like what's going on in the market uh, and utilizing all these things? Because to people in the industry also, we're, we're, I've sometimes been asked, how much do I pay you for this? And honestly, we're a free resource for candidates. Um, so I do think that people should utilize us more for, for what's going on in the marketplace. That's perfect. So can you, so um, big question that I have is there's, we talked about many different types of recruiters. So what's some of the advantages and disadvantages with working with say an individual recruiter versus a recruiter that's part of uh, say a big firm? I think um, like I'm, I'm considered a boutique. I was on my own. I started my firm in like my apartment and set up a desk, uh, you know, and I've grown it to be 10 people. Uh, I think, I, I don't necessarily think size of recruiting firm means much, to be honest. Yes, like there's mega search firms that have more people, more resources, um, but then there's the scrappier people that are laser focused on their specific field and they know it inside and out, you know? Someone case in point that just does MSL recruitment and lives and breathes that area. I don't know. I would trust them. They just won't have as many clients as a bigger company would to put you forward in front of those. But they'll, you know, knowledge point, they'll they'll be just as good. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I think it's you know asking the recruiter if you meet with them or get recommended to them uh, a few quick questions if they're presenting your resume. They are representing your career for you and you. So before you send your resume to a, to a recruiter or search firm, um, ask them if they send it anywhere. And if they do, to give you permission to send it anywhere. There are some recruiters out there will have a resume, not have a client, but see an open job and then take your resume and say, hey, I got this person in hopes of getting a new client, but they don't have a relationship with the company. The whole goal is for that recruiter to to bring qualified people and good people forward for their client, but it's, it's impossible to do if they don't know that company. Um, so asking them if they've represented the company before, do they know the hiring manager personally? Have they met with them? Do they know the, the, the culture of the organization as best as they can? It's 
tough thing to ask, but uh, uh, or get an answer, like a real answer on. But uh, I do think those are some questions. And have you placed anyone at that company? Because then it's kind of proves that you've worked with them before. That's a good, good. Uh, that's a good thing to think about. I, I'm not sure everybody asks that question. No, I, I think I think there's just some recruiters out there that will take your resume and put it forward places where you don't know where it's going. And that kind of makes you come off as indecisive or sloppy about your career search as well. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things too, is that all things being equal, right? If you're recruiting for a particular role, um, the, the question really becomes, how does one stand out to you? If you had five candidates that you're going to present to a, a particular company, uh, when you're talking to those individuals, what are, what are the things that um, impress you or things that, that spark. Now, obviously if you have somebody who's, who, who the job description was written for, they have every possible criteria that that employer is looking for. Well, that's different, but, but assuming you, you get a few candidates that are, that are all pretty equal, um, having been on the other side, I know that we meet with, um, you know, uh, search firms on a regular basis once they're retained and they'll check in and say, Hey, we found these two or three people, yada, yada. But, what what should people be thinking about? Because I really believe the minute you start speaking to anyone, you make an impression about who you are. So so what are the things that that you really pick up on, or or other search firms really pick up on that says, "Wow, this person's really dynamic. They're interested. They're excited. They're smart. They have the right qualifications to make you want to put them at the top of the pile and not in the middle of the pile." Well, I think you hit on it. Qualifications to me, I mean, is is number one or tied with with motivated motivations and the right cultural fit. But I mean, you can't do a job, you know, for for an executive search or recruiting assignment if you don't have the skill set or you haven't done it. Yes, there's there's correlating background skills that could transfer from one area to the other, but uh, or like right outside the bullseye of what a company is looking for, but. Uh, Less, less so, it's, it's really who's been there, done that. I mean, especially smaller biotechs as well, where they don't have a lot of room to make a wrong hire sometimes, uh, or almost all the time. But uh, what, what, I, what I look for a lot is people that have done their homework on the company. Uh, I mean, there's one thing to be qualified for a role and be the absolute best on paper. But if, if that person is now, I speak with them the second time and I go like, what if, research have you done on the company? Why this company? And they say, well, you know, I just want to leave Pfizer and get to a biotech type of thing. I mean, that shows me that they're interested in shifting from a company, but not, you know, not running to something as opposed to running from something. So I do think that people out there do have to, if it's with a recruiter, if it's with the HR manager, talent acquisition internally, especially the hiring manager, you don't have to be a total expert on the on the technology of the company, but you should you should read up in the press releases, get familiar with the company, do whatever you can to 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 make that impression that that you're you're not just good on paper, great on paper, but you're truly motivated and excited about that company. That's what separates people. And and what's something that uh, you know would be a tip for people that maybe is is just like a complete disqualifier? What are the things, maybe the red flags that um, you know you see as as easy disqualifiers that people can prevent making that mistake? Talking money and title early on as the number one and two things that that they care about. 
it's an off-putting thing for a lot of people that have made lateral moves. But you got to think about the hiring managers as well. Many, many people that have advanced in their careers, look at their backgrounds, go to LinkedIn, use it as a tool, um, see where they've been, what connections you can make with them. But there's a lot of people in senior roles in this industry that haven't climbed the ladder and made the leaps that we've seen in the past few years that this title inflation that's occurring. So you have people that don't really give a shit about other people that are that aren't willing to take sidesteps sometimes for the company and for the right thing, as opposed to just grabbing title and money. So it comes off as not a you know humble or approach that you know is someone that they want to work with. I mean, that that's what I see as as disqualifiers pretty early on. Yeah, it makes sense. So so when is the right time if somebody has a concern about what the title is? I mean. Uh, I've looked at roles in the past where the role is really, really interesting. The title is probably not just right. Um, gotten through the process and and have had discussion at the right time, and it's been something that they say, "Well, it's either not, you know, it's not something we can move on, or yeah. something that, yeah, we we can make that move." Um, when's the right time, and yeah. how do people do that? Yeah, and it's important to be transparent with if you're working with a recruiter, right? I mean, legally in most states. A company cannot ask you what do you what do you make on the money side is the like it's it's a tricky piece to navigate. Obviously, you want to make as much as you can, but in a realistic, positive tone while you're putting the other factors of the company and who they are ahead of that. I think the money will be there if you do it the right way, and they'll be fair that way. Um, on the title side, I, it's tricky. I think you should put it in your back pocket for maybe the first or second discussion. Once you move it to an advanced discussion where you and the company are both investing five to 10 hours of time where you're interviewing with each other, it's important to break it out at some point with either the recruiter you're working with or the HR manager to, to have that discussion. So it's not something that you now invest all this time together. You fall for each other. They say, oh, it's senior director, but you're looking for a VP. And, uh, and now it falls apart because of that. Um, so I do think there is a time where it's, where it's important to bring it up. It's probably before that, like on, on site or full panel interview that takes place. Do, do you guys, the meaning the recruiters usually have insight on where there's flexibility with stuff like that. So if a candidate, you know, you call them and say, Hey, I've got this position for an associate director role. Can they up front and say, well, you know, that that's kind of a step back in title. Can they, can, is that okay to have the conversation with you? more upfront about that and explore where you yeah. think things I mean, go? We're, we're doing it a lot right now. It's something that uh, with the market, the way it is, I think people are seeing their friends make these nice jumps title wise. You're seeing people go from director to VP. You're seeing first time CEOs, you're seeing first time CMOs, CFOs, et cetera. So people are making big leaps based on what's going on and, and they're qualified. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's what the, na the nature of this industry right now is. Um, so uh, what, what was the question again? Sorry. I got Just, lost you know, do you usually have insight as, as a recruiter where there's oh, yes. flexibility? Yeah, yeah. So, so with clients, we always do say, like, is there room up or down a little bit? Even down, you know, you can find someone that's an up-and-comer that could maybe, maybe that they're not quite ready for the AD level or director level. And they're higher at them at a senior manager, AD level. I think a lot of companies want that kind of, that mentality of hunger and excitement and uh, that they don't put the title right up there. But 
But uh, yeah, we typically do do talk to clients and some it's very firm. You know, this is this is a senior director. I mean, this is a VP. It's not going to be anything higher. If people are prioritizing that, then we shouldn't speak to them right now. And what, what types of things are you seeing now with this competitive landscape looking for, um, you know, talent? What types of things are you seeing put out there that maybe weren't put out there before? So maybe benefits or incentives, you know, what are you seeing changing right now to attract that talent? Uh, more money for base salaries. Uh, the compensations have gone up. Uh, I mean, I think that has a little bit to do with inflation and will continue to, but I do think in certain areas, it's just gotten to be a little crazy comp wise. Companies will think it's crazy, but uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing for candidates. I mean, the, the wages have increased there from a base. Uh, certain companies have retention packages right now to keep employees, to keep them there, um, you know, by, by giving more money, higher bonus structures, bigger equity allotments. Um, Sign-on bonuses are certainly there in certain times of the year, um, if the company could do it. Uh, Benefits-wise, you know, solid benefits too. I mean, there's almost all the companies we work with have now and have now adapted this uh, summer shutdown, Christmas to New Year's shutdown. I mean, that's now like pretty much everywhere in the industry. It wasn't five years ago. Now everyone does it. Some of these companies I work with don't even have. Uh, don't even have vacation policies. It's, you know, you could just, just take it whenever you need it. I mean, no one abuses it. I think that's a different story, but, uh, but those are certain things that we've seen for sure. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the vacation one. So a previous guest who's a leadership consultant for organizations and, and whatnot had mentioned that, uh, don't get caught up in the unlimited vacation thing that essentially what that does is means there's no target to pay you out. If you leave the organization, that you've left something on the table. So, okay. you know, I, I think what's happening is, um, you know, that that's some of these benefits are benefiting, you know, both organizations, but it's interesting to hear that they're, you know, these ways of looking at things, you yeah. know, where companies look to hold on, hold on to and, and have things that would hold people for quite a long time now are realizing that that might not be the case. Yeah. And I mean, but with that being said, I mean, as a candidate, I think it is an attractive feature. I mean, Maybe this year I only need, uh, you know, a couple of days off because we're busy, 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 but I have to do some things. And, but maybe next year I have a, a prolonged vacation planned with my family and I'm able to do it. So I think, I think there's the yin and the yang, right? It helps the employer because of policy and, and payout. But, but I think, I think it is a super attractive thing for people today. Yeah, I know. I, I certainly would love it because I end up leaving vacation most of the time on the table at the end of right. the year. So, you yeah. know, it would be nice uh, to to have that. It does so, become a little tricky, though, right? Like, yeah. know, I don't know if anyone's using 40 vacation days in the year. I think that affects your performance and, and how you're perceived in the organization. So uh, I, I think it all evens out. Yeah. So, Mark, why don't we um, give you the floor for a little bit? Um, you know, first of all, I, I want to make sure we say this. This is uh, Mark is a guest on the uh, on the show today. Um, so we want to give him an opportunity to talk about some of the things he may be working on. And if you're listening and, and maybe there's uh, something that uh, Mark is working on, you know, we can get you connected with Mark. So, Mark, is there anything in particular that you're working on right now that you're excited to talk about? Yeah, well, I mean, we well, we have like five key functional areas that we support and work in for biotech. 
companies. So we're working with a lot of compelling companies right now across multiple disease areas, platform technologies. Uh, so at my firm, we we have uh, you know ten people. We're devoted to to this industry, and and that's what we're passionate about is helping these companies, which helps them in their mission to to bring new therapeutics or treatment options to patients. So um, if if you're ever looking to transition into the industry, talk to me. You you could reach out to me. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be a resource in any way. It's how I've built relationships with people that have matured in their career. I, I don't know if I need to share like the actual jobs that we're working on, but but certain areas where we support are MD recruitment, clinical development. Sometimes it's a little rare for companies, smaller biotechs that we support to recruit right out of you know, fellowship or academia. It's happening more, uh, but I do like talking to people that are MDs that uh, that are thinking about it and how they can make that transition and where and what the positives, negatives are. Uh, do a lot of work across medical, as John knows, and medical affairs build outs. We do a lot of work as as companies build and, and approach commercialization uh, and also on the on the business side as well. So I personally love supporting the business side. I do a lot of work with, uh, you know, CFOs, chief business strategy, chief operating officers, helping them build their teams so the company be more efficient or do transactions, deals. Uh, equally for people on the science that, that may have a science pedigree or background or MD. I do think it's important for them to know that there's careers outside of just the lab and uh, and the clinical. I think they could utilize a lot of their strengths and business functions as well. You know, search and evaluation as part of a biz dev function or portfolio strategy or you know even new product planning, commercialization. I think there's ways to uh, to really utilize your science pedigree and background in, into other areas that's outside of just a lab. Yeah, for sure. And. That's one of the things I can tell you from a physician point of view, they, they do a pretty horrible job, at least uh, when I was going through training about teaching you uh, about what potentially you can do with your degree. The, the obvious one is treat patients, right? And that's what most people do when they graduate medical school. Um, but I, I don't think the, the medical school process allows itself to see uh, as broad of a net. So that's kind of cool. But um, one of the things we started with was, was COVID, right? And that's changed the, the whole environment. Um, but I think there, there are probably a lot of dynamics and a lot of changes that are happening now, or that if you had to break out the crystal ball and you had to say, hey, a year from two years from now, three years, 10 years, whatever, um, what should people be thinking about if they're looking to get themselves ready to either make a jump in the future or, or start something new? Related to COVID or just... Uh, no, just in general. I mean, or, or any yeah. any shifts that you see taking place that people should um, well, be ready for. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know if, if it's the New Yorker in me being a pessimist sometimes or not, but, uh, you know, this, this industry, when, when COVID started, I never placed anyone at an organization that never met or you know met the hiring manager in person. I mean, field-based roles are separate. So you know, on-site positions like people would interview, go to the company, feel out the culture. The company would feel out them. They meet in person, shake hands. You know, I honestly didn't know what was going to happen. What companies would hire? What who wouldn't? What candidates would want to make a move? Uh, I was I was absolutely wrong there. I think the industry adapted, and so did people. And uh, I think we've seen historic movement. Um, Across the board, it happens to also be with the amount of capital that's flown into the industry uh, 
and all the new companies that are hiring. But I think that's one thing to to maybe look out for is uh, it how long is it truly a candidate market for? Uh, when do when does this ride that we've been on for for smaller emerging companies and all the cash that's been there? I think we're kind of seeing it right now with less IPOs and less uh, less capital flowing flowing in, uh, and people have taken advantage of those movements. Um, so. Starting to be a little cautious about it. Um, starting to be a little cautious about like which area you're in and, and getting the right experience with the right people that's there. I mean, people will ultimately still remain and remain at companies. There'll be attrition at companies. Companies will fail. Uh, companies will get acquired. So, so you know, just I think that's one thing to consider. Maybe for the next two or three years, really. I haven't seen a slowdown just yet, based on the market. Uh, I think there's still a lot of demand for talent, but and hopefully it stays that way is is the hope but i do think that maybe that's something to just keep keep tabs on so what do you th what do you think is driving the whole you know it, it's the buyer market for the candidate right now in many ways right what, what do you think we we talked to a prior guest too about the great resignation right a lot of people leaving where they're at reevaluating life things like that but mm -hmm. um what, what do you Not think a huge fan of that term <laughs> why is that i don't know i feel like it's it comes with like resigning or leaving a company without actually mentioning there's so many opportunities for people why not make a move for something better so i think the whole economy uh has been you know really ripping for the past two years and there's so many you know yes people are resigning but they're actually getting better money better titles better opportunities more money going to exciting places and uh you know so i think there should be more positive spin on it yeah no that's true that's true it is a good very thing good anyway. point yep. yeah yeah so um, as we uh, come towards the, the end of our time, um, you know, I, I always like to make sure that we give our guests an opportunity to uh, circle back how people can connect with them. So if you, know, you want to share with us, how, how should people reach out to you? What are some of the um, ways people can connect with you and find out what you're working on and the projects you're working on? Yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place or shoot me an email. Um, you know, we could always find time to talk, meet uh, virtually, potentially. Uh, um, you know, my name is Mark Silber, M-A-R-C-S-I-L-B-E-R. -E um, on LinkedIn, my firm is called Crossover Search. Even if it's not me that could help, maybe one of the one of my colleagues at my firm could be a source of information or help in building a relationship with not just me, but but with us as a whole. So we're we're familiar with each other, and you know, we could be we could be of help at some point. Yeah, and we'll have your bio and your contact info on the website at thebiotechproject.com. Just click on the link for uh, for Mark's episode, and and all his information will be at the bottom of the page there. Um, any parting words of of wisdom for folks that are um, you know evaluating their situations now, Mark? Something they should be looking out for? Something you think is going to be really exciting on the short term horizon? I don't know. I mean, I mean, my parting wisdom would be just you know you got to always always be conscious of your network and always networking with people. It's the best way that people find jobs, recruiters or not. I mean, it's through people that like you, want to work with you, think highly of you. You know, I, I, I'm, I can't tell you how many times people land jobs because they worked with someone previously um, or it was, you know, someone gets called about a job, it's not for them. And they say, here, here's this person or this person. I think they'd be great. I mean, that happens more than you know. And uh, I think that's the best way to to make an impression. So uh, 
keeping keeping your network healthy, making sure you're doing the right thing uh, with references as well. I've seen that become the most important part of processes now, especially in this remote virtual world is how important references are and keeping those up to date. Great. Well, yeah, Mark, this has yeah. been, go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, that's something that John, you and I talked about recently on uh, an episode that, you know, we did together that uh, your reputation and those connections you make throughout your career are really vital, especially, you know, when, um, when, you know, we, we look at um, how small and tight knit, this community is and and as these smaller companies start to you know pick the cream of the crop leadership you know there's there's great opportunities for um you know past connections to to uh bring huge, fruit it's yeah. huge I, i've seen things fall apart because someone doesn't put forward their the right references it's an indication of what you know then it makes the company second guess a little bit why why they put that person? Why didn't they put someone that they reported into or worked closely with? Um, why, why won't that person be available? I think those are those are really critical pieces. Uh, so you know, yes, colleagues and peers are one thing, but but definitely people that you've worked closely with that you've reported to or represented in some way. It's it's so huge nowadays. Yep. Well, I mean, look, reputation is, is everything. We've said it a couple of times on the podcast and exactly the reason why uh, we're glad that you were here with us today, Mark. Um, again, I'll, I'll circle back to where I started. I've always enjoyed uh, the conversations we've had. I've always enjoyed the talent that you bring uh, to the industry. So uh, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I learned a lot uh, and I hope everybody listening did as well. Yeah, I have to echo that. It's been, um, you know, really cool to talk to you today, Mark, learn a little bit about you and kind of get your insight. Uh, I, I definitely have some notes to write down and uh, I'll be connecting with you on LinkedIn. So look out. For yeah, that. no, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Um, if you have any other questions, let me know. I'd love to join you again at some point. Yeah, great. absolutely. That'd be great. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. And again, uh, go to our website, thebiotechproject.com. Check us out on YouTube if that's your preferred method of uh, watching or uh, take a listen to us on any of the uh, podcasting platforms out there. We're on them all, everything from Spotify to Apple Music to uh, you could even ask your Alexa to play it for you. So if you are busy cooking and you want something good to listen to, just say, uh, hey, Alexa, can you play the Biotech Project and, and take a listen? Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to The Biotech Project. Scott and John have 50 years of combined expertise with roles that have covered everything from frontline sales to senior vice president of medical affairs. Scott and John are industry veterans, equipping you with knowledge from guests in every role from CEO to sales, recruiters to hiring managers. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, check out the website at www.thebiotechproject.com. And for questions and comments, send an email to hosts at thebiotechproject.com. See you next time.